today I want to talk about mystery, um, as we said before. Um, and I, I'll start, start by this. I, I think uh, it's fair to say as Christians, I, I don't know if you've noticed uh, this, but we seem to be called a lot of the time to balance things out, to walk tightropes in certain ways. And one of the tightropes we walk is between being humble on one side and being very confident on the other side. Humility and confidence in, in that sort of way. And I, I guess the way it works is uh, that we should be very humble in who we are, because we're creatures, aren't we? We were made, like we're limited. But on the same, the other side, we, there's a one that's unlimited, okay? One who's perfect and beyond. He's got everything sorted. He knows everything. Uh, and he gives us stuff. So we can be very confident in what he gives us, okay? So, and it's always this balance for us. And I, I think one of the ways this balance strikes us between humility and confidence is in how much we think we can know or understand about the world, about ourselves, about God. So how that would work, just to break that down, is we creatures who have limited capacities, we do all recognise, everyone at a push knows they know this, that we can't know everything, we just can't do it. Our brains can only take in and process so much information, some more than others, okay, a bit daunting, kind of getting up with a few physics students here, you know, and a theology, that's daunting, but I'm ready, I'm ready, okay, you know, it's all right. But even, even your brains wouldn't be able to take in infinite amounts of information. And also, even more worryingly, all of our information is filtered through lenses that we don't really can't really have any control over. And so sometimes we just don't see those things. And that should lead to a great deal of intellectual humility of us. Okay, so on one side of the, the thing like that. However, despite our limited capacities, the Bible tells us the one who has unlimited capacities, the omniscient God of heaven, <laughs> has revealed truth to us. So therefore we can be confident in what we know, not because of our ability to think, but because of who has revealed it. Okay? And that's a tightrope. Do, do you understand? I don't know if any of you feel that tightrope, but I find that that's a tricky thing, okay? And I think we need uh, to learn how to walk that tightrope well. I think it's always going to be a tightrope, and I don't think you ever master this. You always have to concentrate, like I, from, not from any experience I imagine you'd have to do if you walked a tightrope, okay? Um, and we have to do that because we know what happens if you fall off either side, and it's not pretty, Okay? So imagine you fall off on the humility side. You go too far that way. I, I, I think it would be fair to say our postmodern culture around us has well and truly fallen off that side. They've kind of said, oh, we, we can't really know anything, you know, um, and so therefore let's not even bother talking about objective truth because there's no way we can know that stuff. And actually, therefore, all truth is subjective. They're just inside us. Um, we, we, we can't really know anything outside of us. That's, that's how our society seems to, to run. Uh, and it's a strange humility because it's a humility that leads to incredible arrogance because then it says, well, because we can't know anything out there, I'm the only one who can know anything about myself or about things and you don't have a right then to correct me on it at all. So it's a humility that leads to arrogance, you know. Um, and actually, it affects us in the Christian world more and more. And I wonder if there's some of you today who are wrestling with this at the moment. I have a number of friends who'd be in this camp who are, uh, they, I think the word is, they are deconstructing their faith at the moment. Are you familiar with that phrase? It's used quite a lot, deconstructing their, their faith. And I, I think what that means is they're questioning and questioning and questioning lots of things they'd received over time or believed before and thinking, wow, is this really right? How can I know this? And all this sort of stuff, Okay. I just say, as we go on, I'm going to explain this. I think it's good to think things through. I, I really do. But actually, I see where that lands for a lot of people. And it, it lands with some of my friends at the moment. They seem to have completely lost their bearings. It's like they've said, yeah, and I just can't know anything anymore. And they're totally lost. And I'd say, we don't want to end up there. If you're here today and you're there, I want to give some hope 
for you to get back onto the rope because there's a way to navigate this. Uh, there is, although it's, it's tricky, it's a lifelong long thing. But we don't want to fall off on that side. So why don't we just lean towards the confidence side then? Why don't we just do that, stop ourselves from that risk? Well, there's a problem there as well. Because an overconfidence in our own wisdom and understanding, I think, is equally a problem. And again, the world seems to be here. Paradoxically, it does both things at the same time. So particularly in the moral sphere, uh, increasingly, anyone who transgresses or even questions our Western liberal values are instantly uh, humiliated, vilified and blacklisted. I'm sure you can think of many examples uh, that that would be the case, okay? But in the church, this comes in in the church as well. This is happening, I think, a lot within the church uh, around the world today. And you see people who are Christians who assert things very strongly and follow them through with things. You just think, actually, you know what? Those are peripheral and kind of very marginal theological views, and you're asserting them with the same sort of clarity or like death as you would Jesus rose from the dead, and then this. And you're like, really? And we can see quite easily other people's things like that, but we don't see it so much with ourselves. And there's a problem there when we get a bit overconfident. I'll give you an example um, from a friend, a friend of mine posted something on Facebook uh, the other day. It was an advert for a Bible course. Okay, I'll, I'll read it to you, uh, what it says. I wonder what your reaction to this is. It said, uh, said this, and I, I'll explain as we go along. Do you want CAPS, explosive spiritual growth? Do you want to finally understand the whole Bible? Do you want to confidently know how God feels about you? Do you want to be a supernaturally equipped leader? We have removed the CAPS hassle of a profound Bible education. Say, what? (laughs) They didn't have that in it. Learn on your schedule at home. We have a proven track record of giving explosive spiritual growth. This time, no caps. Inconsistently. I don't like that. Anyway, um, at an incredible price. We are here to help. Registration is open and we have limited diamond level spots available. I wonder how that strikes you. It just made me feel really uncomfortable, that. I just, technically, I don't know if... I disagree with it. The hassle of a profound Bible education has to be a joke, surely. But the rest of it, I don't really disagree, but there's, there's things there that are a bit weird. Can we? Is our goal in, as Christians to understand the whole Bible? Is that what we should do? I'm a good Christian now. I understand the whole Bible. What about that bit about wheels at the beginning of Ezekiel? What about that bit? The parable of the, un, the unmerciful... Uh, no, no, it's the, uh, the, the steward, the guy with the money, the dishonest manager. Yeah, try that one there. Most of Revelation, <laughs> okay? Like, understand the whole Bible. That just seems a bit odd. And also, that, this whole kind of, give us some money, and just in a short amount of time, you'll know everything. This kind of step-by-step, kind of uh, four easy steps to freedom, revival, whatever... Thing. There's an arrogance about it, I think, that says if you do those things, you know, um, everything will be okay. And, and the problem is with that stuff, if you've bought into that, what you will find is, I'm afraid, guys, life's not that simple. It just isn't that simple. And you do your four steps, and you find out, actually, you're not quite there yet. And you think, I've failed. And you realise that, actually, I thought I got the Bible oh, wait a minute, that's confusing. What do we do at those points? And if you fall off the other end, it leads us into an equal uh, problem. Well, I want to look today um, at what the Apostle Paul says about how we walk this tightrope. Because there's a middle road, there's a balance here that's really important for us. And Paul, I think, gives us some real help. We're going to look at two passages. We're going to, first of all, uh, go to Colossians chapter 1, which has come up behind me. And I'm going to go through this slowly as we go through. We're going to end at 2 verse 4. Okay, uh, just in case you think, well, let's go on forever. No, we're stopping there. Okay, but let's look at what Paul says. He starts with this. 
Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Just, I'll just stop there for a second. I'm not going to talk about that at all. But just if there's any verse in the Bible that should fill us with humility, it's a verse like that where he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Okay? What? I'm not going to talk about that. But luckily you've got people like Luke here who can explain that verse to you later. So over to Luke when I'm gone. I'm sure you'll thank me for that, uh, Luke. But let's get back to what I want to talk about. Let's keep on going. For the sake of the, his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Just stop there for a second. Let's pause on that. What's Paul's job? To make the word of God fully known. Paul had a confidence in what he was teaching. Do you see that? He'd been given a job by God, not just to sketch out a few ideas about the majesty of God, but to make the word of God fully known. I'd put the caps in there if I was doing that Facebook post, okay? Fully known. But what is the word of God? What does he mean? Does he mean the gospel? Does he mean the Bible? The Bible's not been finished yet at this point, so it could mean the Old Testament, but what does he mean? Well, let's go on. Uh, what is the word of God? The word of God fully known? The mystery hidden for ages and generations. Well, a minute ago, he's looking kind of confident, and then he sums it up. The mystery, it's a strange way to sum up the word of God. But that's where Paul goes. A minute ago, he was sounding like my Facebook friend's message. You're all confident. Now, suddenly, he's a proper progressive. Oh, it's all just mystery. Or is he? Let's, let's keep on going. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Paul describes the gospel as the mystery pretty much consistently in Colossians. He uses the phrase gospel and mystery almost uh, just interchangeably, and in Ephesians a little, okay? Um, but it's very important to realise that when Paul writes about mystery, he means something slightly different to what we mean, okay? I think when we're talking about mystery, uh, we're meaning an, an unclear truth that we should marvel at, but we can't ever really fully understand. We can at best partially grasp it. That's what we mean by mystery. Paul's different. I think for, Paul, for Greek thinkers, this word, it, was, it, it really meant a divine reality that on our own we can't work it out. But if the gods, or for Paul obviously God, chooses to reveal it, then we can know that truth. So you can know a mystery. In this case, it's a mystery that has been revealed. And what Paul's saying is this. He said, you guys, in, in Judaism, you had uh, no idea in some ways what God was up to. You obviously knew a good amount of stuff about God that's revealed in, in the Old Testament, but it came as a massive surprise when Jesus came on the scene because you didn't really know. You, you, it was like everything was shrouded in this fog and now it's come out of the fog and it's staring you in the face. It's a mystery that's been revealed. But what is this mystery? What is this once hidden reality that's now been revealed and made known? This is how he goes on. To them God, and to, to them is the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's the mystery? The mystery is Jesus. That's what the mystery is. The mystery is Jesus. Again, I think, again, this is... I'm like, I'm reading this, I'm thinking, not exactly what I was looking for, Paul, you know? I was approaching this like the mystery would be like a, an answer to a tricky question or a, a solution to a difficult puzzle. You've just given me a person. Like, I don't know what the questions would have been for the Colossian Christians at this time. Like, I don't know, uh, reading the Old Testament. Is God uh, loving or angry? Which one is it? That would be a big question. Um, is, I don't know, um, do, should Christians... Get circumcised, Gentile believers, should they get circumcised? Now, that would be a big question for many of them. Um, which of these letters that seem to be flying around from so-called apostles, which of them are actually scripture and which of them are just people shooting off, <laughs> like just kind of shooting from the hip, you know? Those are the kind of questions I'd be asking if I was a Colossian Christian. And uh, Paul goes, the mystery has been revealed. Who is it? 
It's not, he doesn't give any answers. He doesn't give them any new knowledge. He gives them a person. Ah, Paul, come on, be clear. Well, you know what? Maybe it's an oversight. Okay, well, let's get back to the passage and see if he explains this a little bit more. Okay, let's read on. Um, him, that's Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Ha-ha! I think we've got it. We've understood now where we should be on the, uh, the title. Surely we are leaning heavily now towards confidence. Look, look what he says. To reach his prayers, that they would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. If that's not understanding the full Bible, I don't know what it is. And knowledge, okay? We've got it. Thank you, Paul. He wants us to be able to proclaim all of our theological convictions, even the most, like, kind of sidelined ones with, con- with absolute certainty. That's obviously what he's saying now, isn't it? Wait a minute, let's, let's go back to the passage. We read on. God's mystery, and again he's back to it, which is Christ. Still a little bit weird. Jesus isn't a set of facts or five easy steps to freedom. Of course, he's a person, but look at how Paul ends it. Which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. <sighs> What's the odd word in that sentence? To the floor. Hidden. We're finding what was revealed here. And we've landed on Jesus. And in Jesus, hidden, present tense, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul's job was to make God's word fully known. He prayed the Colossians would reach full assurance of understanding. He was an agent of God's intention to reveal these things, these deep, profound things that we could never work out if he didn't tell us. That's on this side, but still on this side, he can talk of a present hiddenness of things. All that wisdom and knowledge, all those things you want to know, all those questions you want answered, where are they? They're in Jesus, haha, but they're hidden in him. I think there's two things from this that we can, that are really important for us to think about and to, to, uh, that help us in our tightrope walking uh, thing we need to do. First is this. I think as Christians, we need to know that some things are still hidden from us. Some things are still hidden from us. I first think to this, it's not, that's not saying those things are necessarily going to be hidden forever. The image I get with all this stuff is, um, is a kind of a treasure map. That's how I think when I, when I see this passage. It's almost like God says, there's a treasure out there, everyone. Okay, this is how it's in the passage, isn't it? The treasure is wisdom and knowledge, the, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And it's like, go and find it, X marks the spot. And so you go, wicked, I'm going to go off and follow my map. And you find X, and what do you find? X isn't an X, it's Jesus. Jesus is at the X that marks the spot, okay? And then we ask Jesus, okay, well, great, where's the treasure? And he gives us a spade and says, get digging. Okay? The hiddenness, the present hiddenness of some of these things is to encourage us to dig. There is work to be done here to get to this treasure. The profound things of God are not just floating around on the surface. We're not just going to stumble over them. We'll need to dig. It's going to take sweat. It's going to take effort. We're going to need to wrestle with the Bible. We're going to need to press on in prayer. We're going to need to persevere with relationships in the church, in, in, in Jesus' body. All of those things are methods of digging. And if you think you could just pick up a couple of paperbacks or go on a simple course, and voila, it's all there for you. You've got all the treasures of wisdom. You've got everything you need, okay? 
I'm sorry, you're going to fall off one side or the other of that tightrope. Can I ask you, do you know how to dig? Do you know how to toil in your relationship with God? Or do you think, actually, I'm in. I've got my ticket to heaven. I've got nice friends at church. That seems to have settled that one. Nice one. I think God would say to you, yes, you know what? There's so much I've given you. My grace that comes to you completely freely from me. There are some great things there. But but listen, there are whole treasure troves still available to you. Here's a spade you're going to need to dig. So that's one thing. The hiddenness, the present hiddenness of these things encourage us to dig deeper. Okay, But we've still got to understand, even with that said, there are some things that will always remain hidden. There is a bottom to the hole, if I can put it like that. I don't know if any of you had this experience. When I was little, I used to like digging holes. Okay? I just liked to do it. I, I imagine this, this craze ended when the, the PlayStation was invented. But on a Saturday afternoon, I would go to the bottom of the garden with a spade and I would just dig. Okay? I thought it was great. It was really fun. Okay? And uh, what I'd often find would be, at first, it was really easy. Okay? And then you'd go down a bit and you'd hit a, some kind of, I don't know, little stones or an old toy or something. And it was a bit tricky. But you get through the bit of work. You get through those bits. Um, But then finally you'd hit something and you'd realise, I am not going to get any further in this hole. And it could be, I don't know, a big, a tangle of tree roots or a huge rock or, I don't know, an underground bunker. I don't don't know what it was, okay? But it could be something that you know, actually, we've reached the bottom of the hole and we can dig no further. Now, I'll be clear, on its own, this passage doesn't necessarily tell us that Paul felt there were some treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are hidden forever. That's On its own, we can't get that. It's implied, I think, but we have to go to other things that Paul said to know that he definitely thought there was a bottom to this hole for everyone. There definitely was for Paul. Okay? I will tell you, I mean, we know the point in the Bible where Paul hits the bottom of the hole. I'll, I'll bring it to you next. The passage we'll look at for the rest of the time is in Romans 11, uh, verse 33. Okay? A bit of context to this passage. Uh, Paul has just done some serious digging, okay, <laughs> in regard to what we've just talked about. Okay, he's, he's kind of, in Romans 9 to 11, he's been talking about uh, how the Jews still fit into God's cosmic plans of salvation. Now that the Gentiles, you know, what's the place of ethnic Israel? And in that, in those chapters, he hits predestination. He hits the sovereignty of God. He even touches on some things about how God can even use human disobedience to actually help save people for his purposes. You're like, whoa. And then what does he do? Then he writes a song. It's an amazing thing. So he just stops this massive, really in-depth theological kind of barrage. And then he does this. This is his song. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Notice the link with, with Colossians. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? who has ever given to God that God should repay him. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. What's Paul saying? I think what Paul's saying is this. Look, I've dug pretty deep here. I've unearthed a lot of hidden wisdom and understanding. If you want some hidden wisdom and understanding, go and dig in Romans 9 to 11. It's hard work, but it's rewarding work. But then Paul says, but you know what? I've hit the bottom. I can't go any further. Are there still loose ends at the end of Romans 11? Yep. (laughs) If you read that, you'll know that's the question. That's the deal. Are there still massive questions you want to ask Paul? Why have you stopped here? For me, definitely. But no, he's hit the floor. He can't go any further. 
But the amazing thing is, for Paul, this doesn't lead to anger or frustration or disappointment. What does it lead to? It leads to worship. He just worships God for the bottom of the hole. It's very easy for us to say, and I think any Christian or anyone who's involved in any religion would be able to say this very easily, God is beyond our understanding. Very easy to say. Not so easy when you come to the end of your understanding and you realize, I've got to the bit that I can't understand. I don't know if anyone can, can, uh, can uh, identify with that. My, my academic background is in philosophy. Uh, I studied his, uh, history and philosophy at university many years ago. And then I taught A-level philosophy for a, a number of years. And I love... Uh, thinking through things. I, lo- I love that. I think, love thinking through difficult philosophical and theological problems. I, uh, I really enjoy that stuff. Uh, always have kind of. Um, and I, you know what? I don't want to sound smug, but I think God loves that about me. <laughs> I think that's a really good thing. I think God smiles as I do that because Jesus told us to love him with our minds. And we love him with our minds often by thinking through the big things. Okay, I think that's important. But actually, while I love thinking these things through... There's one thing I hate, and I hate not getting a satisfactory answer. Okay? I don't know if any of you would be, be similar. I find it really annoying. It's just, just, that's the best it is. It's really annoying. And I think God's less pleased with that flip side of the coin. And he's been working on me for quite some time with this one. And I think he's worked on me in stages. And it's been a bit like this. It's like, I'm digging away, and he says, Johnny, oi, Johnny, tell you what, you've hit the bottom of the hole. <laughs> What I'd like you to do is don't stop being a Christian. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, God, seriously, you mean you're not going to tell me the answer to this? this is, these are important. How do these true truths not hold together? Oh, ah, okay, you know what? You got me. I'm still on your team. You're lucky to have me here, but I'm still here. Okay, I'm, I know I'm stopping it. And, uh, and uh, I think then God leaves me for a little while. And it's maybe I. I don't know, the analogy is probably losing a little now. Maybe I'll get out and dig another hole. I don't know. But he comes back to me again as I'm digging again. He says, Johnny, you know what? Good news. Hit the bottom of the hole again. <laughs> but this time, I don't just want you to not give up on being a Christian. I want you to find peace at the bottom of the hole. And I'm like, oh, for goodness sake. Like, you asked me a lot last time, peace. You want me to be peaceful when like, the Father's God and, and the Son's God and the Spirit's God and all three are God, and the, but they're all not the same. Like, what the heck? How am I going to get peace from that sort of stuff? Okay, you know, you're God. You're God and you made my brain. So you're going to be beyond me. So, okay, deep breath, peace I can do. I'm not massively happy about it, but peace I can do. So I get out and I dig another hole. And then... And I'll be honest, I think I'm, I say then, I think this is probably future for me, because this next week I think is where God wants me, and I think he wants where he wants each of us. Again, God says, bottom of the hole time again, Johnny, but I want you to move on. I want you to find joy at the bottom of the hole. And I'm like, peace, I, I can just about get peace, God, but how am I supposed to enjoy the fact that I don't, can't know these? How am I supposed to enjoy the fact that the problem of evil and suffering seems just insoluble. It doesn't seem a neat thing I can just explain. But God's like, no, I want, when I say no further, when I say there's a bottom, I want you to have a joy about you. I want you to be like Paul to break out and worship and say, thank you for the bottom of the hole. I'm not there yet. I'll be honest, I'm not. But I think as I read Romans 11, I say, I see that in Paul and there's something here I really want. Got an application here, I think just, and this is specifically, like I said earlier, just for those who are more artistic 
uh, here who are more creative, uh, specifically for you guys. Because I think there's one other thing we can do at the bottom of the hole, and for some of us, it's, it's make art. I think we make art at the bottom of the hole. Um, look at Paul. I mean, he's in the passage. He, what does he do? He breaks into song. Uh, I mean, that's just so you know, where, where did you get that from? That's what most commentators say, that this is a hymn that's penned by Paul for churches to sing. This is an old worship song, really. Actually, it seems that if there's anything that kills creativity and art, it's an overconfident certainty in things. It kills it. I think that's why that when you look at art made by Christians in the world, uh, the work that's best regarded is by Catholics and liberals, not by evangelicals. Because actually Catholics and liberals have a high regard for mystery. Now just be really clear on this. I'm not saying because they have a high regard for mystery and because it's a more fertile breeding ground for art potentially, therefore it's right. I'm not saying that. It could be that God's revealed so much. He says, look, you will be artistically hamstrung. That's how it is. But this is true. Truth, that's, how, that's how God works. I'm going with God every time, okay? But as I've been at pains to explore, I don't think that's the case. I think this is a misunderstanding uh, in evangelicalism. Yes, we, we should be confident at what God has revealed to us. We should dig deep into it. But at the same time, we should have a very healthy embracing of mystery in our relationship with God. And I think that gives artists lots of fertile ground to work in. A friend of mine described, uh, she's a, a ceramics artist in, in Turkey. She told me recently, just a great phrase, she said that the artists work in the gaps between the things we know. I think that's a brilliant description. I think she nailed it. I think the evangelical church has regarded art largely to do marketing and advertising. Okay? It's a tool to communicate already known facts to other people. Okay? To maybe... Uh, get more people to respond to Jesus or more people to come to church. Again, I need to clarify every step of the way here because this is tricky ground I'm on here. I, I want more people to come to know Jesus, just so you know. I would like more people in churches. I think I'm, we're on, most of us would be on the same page there, okay? But if you're an artist here, I'm just saying, yeah, please put your work behind that stuff. Please do it. But there's a lot more for you to do. In fact, perhaps, it's not just that you're the best people when you're at the bottom of the hole to make art. You're the best people for the rest of us when we're at the bottom of the hole to make art. When we're kind of, the rest of us are like, I'm really struggling with this. I'm trying to put these things together. And maybe theologically, maybe with life. When our life, things that happen don't quite match our theological filter. We know God's like this, this and this. But what? How did that happen? I think actually it's a gift of artists often to be able to help us to be able to articulate things and feel things when actually we come to the edge of it. We can't go any further in our thinking. For those of you who are not artistic, I just want to talk to you now. I I, I say please give your creative friends permission to do this sort of stuff. It, It means that I think artists, if we're operating properly, we should be saying risky things. We should be doing that. We should be expressing difficult feelings. We should be asking tricky questions. And if you think, whoa, we don't want that sort of stuff, well, yeah, you go with that. But while you're at it, please chop out Job, Ecclesiastes, Revelation, and Proverbs out of your Bible, okay? And most of the Psalms as well. No, we shouldn't expect our artists to dot all our theological I's and cross all our moral T's in every piece of work they do. It's not that theology is not important for artists, but that's not how the work works in that way. And you know what? They might overstep the mark every now and again. They might do. And it's not that they shouldn't be accountable to, to things. But what ask, ask us as a body here, you're, you're a church blessed with many artistic people, but don't rush in to correct them. 
please don't. There's people they can go to. And if you're asked, you need to have accountability. You need to have people you can talk to. So, so encouraged yesterday, actually, uh, to hear some Arsenal Church making work. And, they say, and then I, I gave it to Luke. And he said, well, this and that comes across a bit like this. And then, you know what? Just so humble. I'll, I'll change it. That's fine. You know, that's a beautiful spirit. And I'd really encourage you guys to have a spirit like that. But also on the other foot, it's don't crush. Oh, it's just because you didn't do that quite right. That's not quite. If we do that, that's when the people leave and people get upset and people get cross. And rightly so, I think. In a world where so much is revealed to us, but so much is still hidden, we need some help at the bottom of the hole. And artists can give us that help. So that's my application for you guys. I'd love to chat to anyone at the end who'd like to get a bit more meat on the bones of that. But one final thing uh, I think I need to say. The second point, I said there were two things from this we needed to see. One is there's a hiddenness still present in our faith. But secondly, and most importantly, bring us back round to Colossians, if you can remember that a few minutes ago. Our faith, we must remember this, our faith is primarily about a person and not about a set of knowable facts. Okay. Let's just check the memories, okay? Go back to Colossians, get your minds back there. What is the mystery? What is it? Christ, yes, very, yes, very good. You got it. I, I, my ears weren't working. I was like, what's that word? Ah, Christ. I was thinking Jesus, but the two things are the same. Brilliant, fantastic. Okay, <laughs> that was close. Okay, another question. Uh, where are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden? In Christ, in Jesus. I know for some of you, this still may be deeply problematic and sound like a huge cop-out. Okay? You might have come here today with big questions, like philosophical questions about who God is, theological questions about the Bible. You're like, I want some help with these. Jesus, there you go. Sounds pretty Sunday school, doesn't it? It's like, Jesus is the answer to every question. Okay? It might be you're here as a Christian with those questions. It might be as you're here who's not a Christian with those questions. And you say, no, those questions need answering. You can't just cop-out and just say Jesus at this point. Well, for you, as for everyone else, what I'd like to recommend, as I said, I think thinking's really important. I think digging's really important. But if you can't see the wood from the trees anymore and you're just totally puzzled with all these questions buzzing around, my suggestion would be you put down the spade, look up, and look at the one who you'll come to. Look at Jesus. Christianity is primarily about a relationship with a person, not a subscription to a list of beliefs. Those two things can overlap, but they're not the same. That might sound like fancy way around things, but we all know that's true. My relationship with my wife is different from knowing a set of facts about my wife. My wife is trustworthy. My wife has brown hair. My wife has brown eyes. I could list, you could keep going, we could keep going for ages. You could say as much statement as you want, but my relationship isn't those things. It's a different thing. There might be an overlap between the two. Hopefully they will, but they're not the same. So as I said, to continue my treasure map image, and it gets a bit confusing here, because if I'm being technical with this image, I'm actually digging in Jesus. That's a bit macabre, isn't it? So I'm going to have Jesus at the top of the hole, okay? So as we dig, go with this. It's not a perfect image. Illustrations, you know, they work like that, don't they? Um, But you're digging, and you're getting tired, you know, and you've hit the bottom. What you need to do is you need to climb out and just see Jesus again, who's at the top, the one who gave you the spade. I think it was great, the word, I think it was Tim who brought it earlier, just saying, Jesus comes to give you rest if you're weary. I think we see that so often in so many different ways. We're tired, physically tired, emotionally tired. I wonder if some people here are intellectually tired. This is what, the promise of Jesus, he gives you rest. Come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. For you, there's rest for you today. Come look at Jesus. And this isn't, I'm not going to leave this practical and vague. I've got three very practical things that I think you should do. And one of them we're going to do in about uh, three minutes' time. 
Okay? First thing is this. Looking at Jesus is not just disregarding all the evidence. It's a wonderful thing about this. I think links things together is actually as we look at Jesus, we can boil that down at first to one historical event that we can ask about. Oh, this is wonderful. This is what the New Testament does. This is what Paul does. Okay? And it's what I do regularly. If I'm having doubts that are flying around my head, I'm like, ah, what are these, all these questions. I kind of stop and go, back's one. I need to ask a question. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Did he do it? And then as I think of that, and if you've not looked into that, just so you know, there's really compelling evidence for that. It's, a, it's not an easy thing for any sceptic to say, oh, that's ridiculous, go and rising from the dead. I mean, what? No, no, look at the evidence. Please, I'd encourage you. I'd encourage you lots. If you have lots of questions, well, what about what the Bible says about uh, the role of men and women? And what does it say about sexuality? And what does it say about fighting in the Old Testament? I'll ask this question. Okay, those things are important. But did Jesus rise from the dead? I'm not saying we're never going to talk about those questions, but when we're lost, go back to Jesus. And then I think maybe while you're doing that, I'd say reread the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus. Savour his words again. Meditate on his character, his kindness, his wisdom. It was the last time you went back to the Gospels and just, just spent time just reading one passage and think, look at this guy. This is why I'm in this. And he's, I trust this guy. And then finally, and we're going to do this in a second, I, I pray that you experience Jesus more in your life. I think by Paul locating all wisdom and knowledge in the person of Jesus, it means there must be an experiential element to our faith. There must be. Because in the Old Testament, they, they, they put all these things in the law. Then the law, there's wisdom and knowledge. And it's a very similar language in that way. But it's no longer in something you can just read. It's in Jesus. And while the main way we can know about Jesus is the Bible, that's the main thing we've been given, okay, there is an experiential aspect. And I come to him and say, Jesus, I want to experience you in my life regularly. Not just one-off. I remember years ago, I had that experience with Jesus. No, in our Christian lives, and our relationship with Jesus, every relationship is about experience at some point. I say, I want to experience you and come and give me peace. Come, come and bless me. I, I know that sounds kind of, that could sound for some of you, well, that's kind of flaky, very subjective. You know what? Experience is important. And so in a second, I'm going to ask you, just we're going to, we're going to sing a song. Actually, could uh, the band, whoever's coming up again from the band cart, thanks, Josh, um, and I just want us to respond by worshipping Jesus and just coming before him and just processing some of this stuff. But I'd ask you this, and, and again, like some of you may be Christians, you may have been a Christian who's never done this before, that your faith has always been, I read this and I believe this and that's how it was. Whoa, okay, whoa, that was close. We have a healing on our hands in a second. Okay. Um, that might be the case. It might be you're not a Christian and you, you don't, well, that's odd. I'd ask you, just, I just like, what's the worst that can happen here? I'd say, Jesus, meet with me. The bottom of my hole, come and meet with me, Jesus. I, I need you to help me. And some of you might be thinking, oh, I don't really care about this stuff, but you know what? Meeting Jesus is always good.